um, before we get into the Sailor Center and why we are supporting them. Um, nearly 45% of all pregnancies among U.S. women in 2011 were unintended, and about 4 in 10 of those terminated by abortion. Abortion rate in 2014 was 14.6 per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44. According to those 2014 statistics, 1 in 20 women will have an abortion by the age of 20. 17% of abortion patients in 2014 identified as mainline Protestants. 13% as evangelical Protestants. That's 30% of our Christian population. 24% identified as Catholic. 38% reported no religious affiliation, and the remaining 8% reported some other affiliation. Some 75% of abortion patients in 2014 were poor or came from low incomes. The reasons the patients gave for having abortions, three-quarters of the reasons were concern for or responsibility to other individuals, the inability to afford raising a child, and the belief that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or the ability to care for dependents. Half said they did not want to be a single parent or were having problems with their husband or their partners. Well, what can we do? We can pray. We can give. We can volunteer our time. But the missions committee here at Olive Branch Baptist Church is excited to support the Sala Center that's in the Clarksville area. They already have a pregnancy center that help these moms and work through these things with these moms. From their website, the Sala Center says they are a Christ-centered, nonprofit ministry serving Virginians in the Lake country region for the purpose of helping pregnant women make choices that will save lifetimes. The center offers support by providing alternative options to abortion through biblical counseling and educational resources. So we're real excited to join with them. Um, in your bulletin, you will see a list of items that they have given us that they would love to receive, and we would love as a church to just give to overflowing um, to this ministry so that they know that we love them and support them and the moms that go know that we love them and support them. There are several items that they want. There, you can have um, toiletries, new and unopened. A lot of things, please do new, lightly used clothes. There are some items on this list that they do not accept, so please look over the list. We'll be collecting items through to the end of March, so please join us as we partner with them and um, give abundantly. Thanks. Fifty years ago, on July 20th, it'll be 50 years this year, man set foot on the moon at 10.56 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. We know what Daylight Savings Time is like. Anyway, what did Neil Armstrong say when he put that first, first foot on the moon? Who wants to shout it out? All right, I, I heard parts of it. All of it. There we go. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But I ask you, did he really say that? Did he really say that? That's the debate. Did he say that or did he say this? That's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. 
you hear this, it makes more sense, doesn't it? It is one step that a man is taking, but it is a great giant leap for all of humanity. And so there's been a debate, what did he really say? In fact, NASA, when it was first broadcast soon after, said that this is what he said, because it made more sense. Uh, The other statement basically says the same thing twice. A small step for mankind, a giant leap for mankind. And so, though, as people heard it, and they heard it, and they heard it more, then NASA had to say, well, he didn't really say this. This is what he meant to say. But even after that, there's been debate. Neil Armstrong has said, this is what I said. And he said, if this isn't what I said, this is what I meant to say. So... And then there was just a few years ago in Australia, there were some scientists who took the recording and they were trying to listen to it carefully. And their conclusion was, this is what Neil Armstrong said. And so maybe you never thought there was such a debate about what he actually said that moment that he took that step. So did he really say what we think that he said? And when it comes to Jesus' words... There's lots of them that we like to quote and we find comfort in and we even put on bumper stickers and put on our posters. But there's others that when you hear them, you would say, did Jesus really say that? You might even say, I wish he didn't say that. Or you might say, how could he say that? I can't believe he said that. And so for the Sundays leading up to Easter, I want to look at the words of Jesus that we don't often gravitate to, or that we misunderstand, or we do wish that he didn't even really say them. They will be words that are both at the same time controversial, challenging, warnings, but also comforting, and words of hope. And the reason is because these words that he said, he said them to get attention. Don't you know how that is, that when you're speaking, when you're talking to someone, sometimes you have to say something that shocks them so that they will wake up and listen. And so some of these things Jesus says, you hear them, and they grate against your ears, but the reason they do is Jesus is saying, hey, listen, pay attention. And then when you hear them, to some they're going to be an offense, and they're going to be a challenge, and they're going to be impossible. But to others, it will be comfort and hope. So we're going to look at the words of Jesus. And the other reason I wanted to look at them, because it was his very words that got him into trouble, so to speak, and condemned him to death. And in fact, those are the first words I want to look at this morning. Did Jesus really say that he is God? Yes, he did. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. And when you read that, you even think, gosh, Jesus didn't take an English class. That's not how you say that. You're supposed to say, before Abraham was, I was. But what Jesus was saying, it was clear to his hearers, he was saying, I am God. They were arguing about Jesus' identity, and they were arguing about who they were children of, and they were saying that they were children of Abraham. And Jesus was trying to tell them that he was greater than Abraham. Because before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. The words that make up the name of God himself, 
when Moses asked God, what is your name? God said, I am. And so it was no mistake that Jesus was saying to his audience, to his hearers, to that crowd, he was saying, before Abraham even existed, I am. He also said later that he and the Father are one. In both instances, when the people heard those words, they were ready to kill him. When he talked about the fact that he said, I am, they picked up stones and were ready to kill him. In John chapter 10, they picked up stones when they heard him say that he was the same as the Father, and they were ready to stone him. And Jesus said, which of my good works are you stoning me for? Which ones deserve death? And that's when they said, we're not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. And in fact, as I said earlier, when Jesus was on trial, after Judas betrayed him and he was arrested and Jesus was taken before the high priest, the high priest asked him directly, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus and all of you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power, which is a, a phrase referring to God and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest, when he heard those words, said this, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And the decision of the council, the Sanhedrin that had been uh, called together was to sentence Jesus to death for claiming to be God. So he said the words. Jesus said that he is God. So what do you do with that? You see how these words can be a challenge to those who don't want to hear it and accept it. If Jesus is God, then we have to submit to him. We have to obey him. We have to follow him we have to humble ourselves before Him. And that is hard for a lot of people because they want to be God or they want someone else to be God. They don't want Jesus to be God. And in fact, some people want to have Jesus, but they don't want Him to be God. They want to have Jesus as a good teacher, someone who had good philosophy or had good sayings that we can put on bumper stickers and we can follow Him in that way. But you can't do that. And C.S. Lewis was the first one to describe it in this way, that if we say Jesus is a good teacher, he claimed to be God. So then, if he claimed it, either he was lying, he thought he was God and he knew he wasn't, but he was just saying it. So how can a liar be a good teacher? A liar is not a good teacher. Well, if he wasn't lying, maybe he thought he was God. Well, if he did that, he's not a good teacher either because then he's a crazy man. He's a lunatic. Well, if he's not a liar, if he's not a lunatic, then the only other option is he was telling the truth, that he is Lord. Well, some today have added to C.S. Lewis's uh, logic, and they've said, well, maybe he's not any of those. <laughs> maybe he's just a legend, like Robin Hood. Like King Arthur, he didn't really exist, or if he did exist, it wasn't like they've claimed him to be. People just said that he said that he was God. They just wrote those things down about him, but that's not who he really was. 
But to those, I would say, well, how do you know anything about anybody in history? People believe George Washington was a historical figure. Why? Because eyewitnesses wrote down what he said and what he did. And that's what people did in Jesus' day. Eyewitnesses to what he said and what he did, and they wrote it down. And if we can believe that all these other historical figures existed, then we have to believe that Jesus existed and that he claimed to be God. And if he claimed it, again, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or we have to admit that he is God, he is Lord, and we must submit to him. So for some, it's a challenge, it's an offense that he claimed to be God. How dare he? To the Jews, they said he was a liar. That's what they said. And that's why they wanted to kill him, because he was a liar, and he claimed to be God. But there's also comfort in the truth that Jesus is God. If Jesus is God, he's always with us. He has the power to do anything. Uh, when he speaks his promises, they always come true. I think of the disciples who were in a storm and on the lake and in a boat that was about to be swamped, and they were about to drown. And Jesus had promised them, we're going to go to the other side. And Jesus was, was with them in the boat the whole time. And Jesus proved his power by calming the wind and the wave. And the same is true for us. Jesus is God. So he's always with you. No matter what you're going through in life, he has the power to change it. He has the power to change you. He's made you many promises to always be with you. He's made the promise to give you eternal life. He's made the promise to see you through anything. He's made the promise to never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And you can take those promises to the bank. It will always come true. What a comfort to know that Jesus is God. Jesus also said this about himself. I am the only way to the Father. Where did he say that? In John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We read this verse a lot. It's one of our favorites. It's quoted at funerals especially because before this Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going away. But I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In fact, it's a, my father's house. It has many mansions. And he says, I'm coming back for you to take you there. And so then Thomas asks Jesus, well, Lord, how do we get there? No, what's the way there? Thomas wants to be in the Father's house with all those mansions. He wants to be where the Lord is, so he, he wants to know the way. And Jesus says to him, to Thomas, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So think about that. What a, a, a challenging statement. Jesus is saying, if you want to see God, if you want to be where God is in heaven, there's only one way. Through me. Jesus says, he's the only way. 
not another religion, not another God, not a, uh, on your own without any religion, without any God. He's the only way. Do you hear how offensive that is to so many people? Do you hear how exclusive Jesus is saying that all of humanity must come to God? Do you hear how, to many people, how dangerous that is? I want you to think about this. Only a third of this planet even claims to be a Christian. That's when you ask them, are you a Christian? They say yes. Two-thirds of this planet, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They say no. I'm nothing. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Hindu. I'm an atheist. I don't know what I am, but I'm not a Christian. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? If Jesus is saying this and he is speaking the truth, two-thirds of this planet aren't on their way to those mansions. They're not on the way to God. You see how challenging it would be for Two-thirds of the world to hear Jesus say that, they would say, uh-uh, Jesus, you're wrong. Some might say, well, Jesus, you're one of the ways. Others would say, Jesus, you're a legend, I'm not listening to you. Others would say, well, Jesus, you think you're the way, but this is the true way. Allah is the way. For us who are Christians, there is comfort in knowing that we know the way. But isn't it a challenge to us to think of how many don't? We often wonder why God would do that. Why he would make it so exclusive. Why in some people's mind he kind of hides himself. Because not all of these people that aren't following him have even heard of him. I mean, Some of them haven't, don't even know the name of Jesus. How is that fair? I don't know all of the answers that are to satisfy everybody's question, but I do know this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what we need to do as Christians who believe he's the way, the truth, and life is tell others that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. I had a friend in seminary who came from a, um, well, he was from Hawaii. And in fact, that's where he lives now. I'm kind of jealous. You know, we, he, uh, he came to Dallas. We were in seminary together. He served in this, uh, the United States, outside the continental United States for lots of years. He's an apologist and he goes to churches and he goes all over the world uh, defending the Christian faith. But he was the first person in his family to become a Christian. And so he did often tell me that this truth that Jesus is the only way was hard for him knowing that all of his relatives over the centuries, they weren't with God. But also as an apologist, someone who defends the Christian faith, he speaks boldly that Jesus is the only way. Puts his faith in God that God knows what he's doing. 
His name is Pat Zucker. Maybe one day he'll come from Hawaii and come and visit us. I hope he would, or take us all there to visit him. That's what we should do, go to one of his conferences in Hawaii. But this is also a comfort to us. No matter where we're going, if we follow Jesus, we always have life, we always have the truth. I want you to think about this. If you're going through life and you don't know what to do, follow Jesus. If your life is falling apart, if your life seems uh, depressed, if your life is going nowhere, find Jesus, follow Jesus. He's not only the way to heaven, He is the way. Following Him always is the right thing to do, always will bring what's best for you in your life. You'll always be in the truth. You'll always have life. Did Jesus really say this? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now we're getting really weird. You know, when we talked about I am God and I'm the only way, we who are believers, that is something we have believed, we've quoted the verses, Uh, To others it's offensive and controversial, but not to us. We embrace it. But now what about these words? And and Jesus did say them. In John chapter 6, he said, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you said to someone who doesn't know Jesus very well, maybe never heard the name of Jesus, and say, you know what, Jesus said, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they'd say, what? Was he a vampire? I mean, what is he talking about? And in fact, the people that Jesus spoke these words to said, that's hard. What is he talking about? And in fact, many of those who had been following him, had been listening to him, they turned around and never followed him again. They said, if that's what it takes, I'm I'm out. (laughs) Don't count me in with that. So what was he saying? If you look at the whole gospel uh, of John, chapter 6, it makes complete sense. The the chapter begins with Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. Everyone's excited. The popularity of Jesus is at its highest. And in fact, he and the disciples uh, end up on the other side of the lake the next day and... There are crowds following him, surrounding him. And why are they there? Jesus knows why they're there. They want more free food. And they, Jesus even tells them that. He says you're just following because you want food. So they start to have a discussion about food. Of course, the people who are following Jesus were Israelites. They remembered the story of their ancestors, how when their ancestors were in the desert for 40 years, how God provided manna for them. And so Jesus is talking about manna. He's talking about spiritual food. He's talking about physical food. The people there were listening to him thought about how God brought manna, about how God fed the people. For 40 years, every morning... They were collected the manna, they ate, they lived, they thrived, they made it to another day. And Jesus' point is, if you think that's awesome, that God brought down manna, and that God fed people physically for 40 years, he says, I have come down from heaven, and I give you eternal life. See, all those Israelites, they died in the desert. 
that whole generation anyway. That manna lasted for 40 years, but it didn't last past that. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. And in fact, he says, I am the bread of life. He's claiming to be far superior to Moses, far superior to manna. He is God himself that has come down who gives eternal life. Now, what do you do with bread? You eat bread. So after Jesus says that he's the bread of life, he's better than the manna, and he's come down from heaven, that's when he says then to eat him. What else do you do with bread? You don't throw it away. I mean, some of us ball it up and put it into straws and shoot it like that. I mean, you might play with it, but you're supposed to eat the bread. So that's when he says to eat my flesh and to drink my blood. But even afterwards, he talks to them and explains to them that he's using a figure of speech. He's using a metaphor. Now, he doesn't use those words. Those are our English words that we use. But he talks about how the spirit gives life and the flesh means nothing. And so he explains that what he's talking about is believing in him. Because in those same verses he says, Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. He says anyone who believes has eternal life. So he explains to them. If you want to live for a few days, if you want to live for a lifetime, then eat bread. If you want to live forever, then believe in me, and I will give you eternal life. That's what he meant by eating him, because he is the bread of life. Just like bread sustains our physical bodies for a physical life, Jesus sustains us for eternity because he is the life giver and he gives eternal life. Now, of course, when Jesus at the Last Supper, he said, as they were breaking bread, he said, this bread is my body. And when they drank from the cup, he said, this cup is my blood. And Catholics today still believe that when the priest says the proper prayer, that that wafer actually becomes the flesh of Jesus, and that that wine in that cup actually becomes the blood of Jesus. But there's no reason to take it literally when Jesus, even in John 6, was telling the people he was speaking metaphorically. He was speaking in a figure of speech. What Jesus was saying to the disciples, what he was saying in John 6, is the same thing, that through his sacrifice, through his body, through the shedding of his blood, he has conquered sin and death, and those who believe in him will have eternal life. That is what he meant. And so the challenge for us is this. I want you to think about how often during the day we do focus more on food that's physical, that sustains our body, than we do on our spiritual life. And I can show you how easily we do that. I know already in your mind you're seeing these pictures. You're getting hungry. You're getting excited. You have thoughts, especially if you didn't have breakfast this morning, you're wishing you had those pancakes and that sausage, or you're thinking about that steak dinner this afternoon, or maybe you're healthier, you want the salad, I put a picture of a salad up there too, or a little bit lighter in a ham sandwich, but think about this, 
So much of our day is, what are we going to eat? I mean, that's the first question we ask each other at our house every night. What are we going to eat? And then we have to figure out what we're going to eat. Then we have to spend money on what we're going to eat. And then we have to make what we're going to eat. Then we have to eat it. Then we have to clean up from making the food and eating the food. And so think about it, especially if you eat three meals a day, that's a lot of thinking, a lot of doing, a lot of paying, a lot of preparing, a lot of cleaning, a lot of eating. And so much of our day is focused on that. Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and Jesus said to Satan, when, when Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, and Satan said, well, just turn these stones into bread. That's all you got to do. And Jesus said to him that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, so this is what I want you to see. I mean, you got excited seeing those pictures. Do you get as excited seeing these pictures? I mean, do you get as excited about praying as you do a steak dinner? Okay. Do you get as excited about worshiping God as you do going to your favorite restaurant? Do you get as excited about reading your Bible as you do food or serving others? If we're honest, a lot of Christians don't get so excited about those pictures or those thoughts or those things. And so this is a challenge for all of us who are Christians. Just like the Israelites did, just like those people in Jesus' day, so much of our time is focused on actually eating food to keep us alive. Yes, we need food to keep us alive. But it doesn't need to be the focus of our entire day. And I challenge you to focus as much on spiritual food, as much on your relationship with God and your spiritual health as you do on your physical food and your physical body and your physical health. And so I'll give you one easy thing you can do that will help you in this. And Christians have been doing it for centuries. And that is fasting. And I would challenge you just to skip one meal a day. Especially if you're a three meal a day person. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe ask Dr. Bailey, maybe it shouldn't be three a day, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe less or maybe smaller ones more often, whatever. But if you are a three-meal-a-day person especially, skip one of them. Instead of eating, pray or read your Bible, call up a friend and encourage him or her, sing a song to God, worship him. Do something that's going to serve others or is going to make you spiritually healthy. Even the money that you didn't spend on that meal, give that to somebody. The whole point of fasting is to take your mind off food or when your mind is drawn to food because you're hungry is to redirect your mind to your spiritual health and your spiritual life. And if you are healthy enough to do it, I would challenge you to go a whole day without any food. That's a little bit more difficult. And you will get hungry. But when you get hungry, you pray. Or when you get hungry, again, you read your Bible. You do something for someone. You feed spiritually. And then if you're really healthy and you can do it, I'd encourage you even to do more than one day. 
At some point, it gets dangerous or unhealthy. And at some point, you just get too cranky and it doesn't help you at all. But there is benefit in focusing on our spiritual life as much as we do on eating. Especially for us Americans, I think. But there's also comfort in this. When we feed on Jesus, He sustains us. We never go hungry. You see, physical food is needed to keep us alive, and it does keep us alive until the day we die, but we are going to die one day. And when we really think about it, what we really desire in life isn't so much food, it's, it's peace. It, it, it's joy. It's uh, friendship. It's forgiveness. It's uh, no longer having any guilt for sin. And these things God gives... And these things never go, are never taken away. These things uh, will sustain us throughout our life and will be with us throughout eternity. And so, reality, the things that we really want and really want to sustain us, if we have God, we won't be hungry, we won't go without, we will be satisfied. Don't so many people use so many things in life to try to satisfy their feelings or their emotions? And we even use food for that. But those things can be found in God. Now a meal satisfies for a moment, but then we get indigestion. Or then uh, it just sits heavy in our stomach. Or we even get tired of eating the same things, don't we? Even your favorite food, if you had to eat it three times a day for a whole week, you would, be, you would hate it after a few days. And not to be gross, but all of our food comes out of our body anyway. Right? But what God gives us sustains us and lasts, and we'll never go hungry. Very quickly, the last one. Jesus said, I never knew you. Did he really say that? How can Jesus, who knows everything, say to someone, I never knew you? That's what he said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evil doers. We often think it's important that we know God. In reality, it's more important that God knows us. See, these people thought they knew God. But God didn't know them. What, what does it mean that God didn't know them, that Jesus didn't know them? I don't think it means that Jesus said to them, well, I don't remember making you. I mean, who, what's your name? You know, where, where did you come from? It wasn't a sense of a lack of knowledge. It was there was no relationship between Jesus and these people. And that's why Jesus said, get out of here. You're not my child. You're not my son or daughter, you're not my friend, you're, and you're not the, uh, uh, someone who's related to me. Get out of my presence. See, these verses here tell us how important it is to be known by God. Jesus says that he's the good shepherd and he knows his sheep and they know him. Paul says if anyone loves God, he is known by him, known by God. And Paul even says, since you know God, but then he says, well, rather you have become known by God. So when we have a relationship with God, then he knows us. And did you see what happened there? 
these people had no relationship with God, even though they were doing things. Jesus said, only the ones who do the will of my Father. And so that often confuses people, because you look at the verse and say, well, Jesus, they were, they were claiming your name, they were prophesying in your name, they were casting out demons in your name, they were doing miracles in your name. That's a lot of things that they were doing. But Jesus still said to them, I never knew you. In fact, he calls them evildoers. But look at these verses in John where Jesus says what it is to do the will of the Father. He says, the will of my Father is that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. And so what Jesus is saying, the will of God is for us to believe in Jesus. That's how you have a relationship with God, is through belief, through faith. And then once you have that relationship with God, yes, then you will do good works. And in fact, in the passage in Matthew 7, right before those verses, Jesus is saying that very thing. He says you can look at someone and see the fruit of their lives, and you can know whether they are a follower of Christ or not. But isn't it interesting, with these people, they had fooled everybody. And so this is the challenge and the comfort, is that Jesus knows you completely. These people probably would have been seen by others and everyone would have thought, if anyone's going to be in heaven, these folks are. If anyone is close to God, these people are. They're always talking about Jesus. They're doing miracles in his name. They're casting out demons. Look at all the stuff they're doing. But they had fooled everybody. And we can do that. It's easy to fool other people. We can fool people to make them think that we're closer to God than we are, that we're holier than we are, that we're more righteous than we are. Uh, you can fool people pretty easily because we cannot look at people's motives. We can't look at their heart. We can't look and see their relationship with God. All we can see is what's on the outside and what they're doing. And most of us, most of the time, we don't see them at home or in the most vulnerable places unless they're family. And they're the hardest ones to fool, aren't they? Your family. But they didn't fool Jesus. So you can't fool the Lord. He knows everything about you. That's a challenge. Because He knows your every thought. He knows your every motivation. He knows... Uh, what's in your heart. He knows you better than you know yourself. But there's also a comfort in that. Because any time that you are, are depressed or any time that you're suffering, any time you're hurting, any time someone uh, betrays you and, and hurts you, and any time that you're struggling, Jesus knows exactly what you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're going through. So don't you think that if Jesus knows exactly what you're going through and knows exactly who you are, that he is going to provide exactly what you need. What a comforting thought. Jesus created us. He made us. He saved us. And he knows us completely. So Jesus has spoken. And it's time for us to respond. Jesus said that he's God. He said that he's the only way to heaven and to the Father. He said that he's the bread of life. In fact, he said to eat him and to drink his blood. And he said to some he never knew them.
Maybe there is a challenge that you need to listen to. If Jesus is God, then we need to submit to Him and humble ourselves before Him. If Jesus is the only way, then we need to believe in Him and no one else. If Jesus is the bread of life, or we rely too much on physical food and other things to sustain our spiritual life. And are you trying to fool God and fool others? But maybe you need to hear words of comfort. To know that Jesus knows you perfectly. To know that because He's God, all of His power and His presence and His promises are there available for you. And because He's the only way, you can follow Him and you will have lived a life and live a life to its fullest. Because He is the bread of life, He will sustain you and you will never be hungry. Respond this morning to what Jesus said by obeying a challenge, by receiving his words of comfort. And do so as we sing together after I pray.